this? Bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the fed. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't Freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses Freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. This is a production of Freeway Ministries, Springfield, Missouri. It's a, it's a, what we're doing here is having unique conversations, exploring what God can do through One Broken Life. We're going to hear stories of transformation. Uh, I'm so excited to dig deeper into the lives of our people uh, who've been broken and radically redeemed by God's grace. And so that's our, that's our whole mission here at One Broken Life. Uh, what can God do with broken people? And so we'll explore those stories. Um, I believe many times that uh, the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And so the things that we're going to cover on this podcast can't be made up. Uh, they can only be developed and created by God. And so this is part two of laying the groundwork of Freeway Ministries with my beautiful wife, Sharla. Hello. She says hi. <laughs> so uh, we're in part two. We just we just went through kind of the groundwork of Freeway Ministries, um, how it all started, um, talking about our discipleship houses, um, where these broken people come from, how we find them, where we meet them, you know, uh, the, the volunteers, the local church, people who come uh, to our program from different places. And so Charlotte and I, we went through that. One of the things that we missed was – uh, where the where the housing people come from, you know, kind of exploring that. And I just want to say before we get into our stories, um, our people come from prisons, institutions, and in the streets. Um, they come from families in the church. We are an alternative to prison in Missouri for seven counties, uh, including where I'm from, which is Jeff City, Missouri. And we'll kind of talk a little bit about that. Uh, the the kind of the theme verse that that I believe kind of it it sings through. Uh, the the idea of this podcast is Psalms fifty one seventeen a broken and a contrite heart oh God you will not despise and so when you hit that place of brokenness and God breaks you down to that place where you cry out and call on Him um, it says the Bible says that godly sorrow uh, works repentance that can, you know that leads to salvation um, a worldly sorrow produces death. And so that godly sorrow from that brokenness um, and then the stories that come come from those lives. And so, Sharla, I just have a few questions uh, as we lay, lay our stories out there and we begin to kind of explore our broken lives. What was your life like growing up? Um, I was raised on a farm, <laughs> so um, was taught to work hard, and um, it was in a broken home. Um, my mom had remarried whenever I was three, um, and then um, just a series of abuse, um, 
just sexually. So um, that's how I grew up. Yeah. So you grew up on the farm. Yeah. Uh, you grew up in abuse. And so for a, for a long period of time? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I don't want to dig too much into that because <laughs> I know that's kind of a subject you like to stir a little bit away from. Um, and so my life, uh, my my life growing up, you know, I never I never had a dad. Um, my dad died. Well, I shouldn't say never. He died when I was still in diapers. I was probably two or three years old. And my mom, single mom, uh, she is my best friend. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, raised in Jeff City, Missouri. And so the state capital is where I was raised at. My mom and I went to visit my brother uh, on a prison visit. And then my, my uncle, who was crazy, burned our house down. And so my mom, before they had cell phones, called home to her, her mom, which is my grandma, uh, who I don't, never really knew much. And she was excited because we were alive because my uncle uh, thought he burned the house down and killed us. And so my mom started uh, her life over with a kid in kindergarten yeah. on a prison visit in Jeff City, Missouri. And so that's how I landed in Jeff City, Missouri. And, and my life was uh, looking up to the bad guy, you know, taught that uh, authority was not good, uh, had, a, had a worldview of the police that, that was not good. Um, you know, and raised looking up to drug dealers and gangsters. And uh, I spent my childhood in, in the prison visiting rooms. You know, one Saturday I'd be in one prison and one Sunday I'd be in another visiting my brothers. Mm -hmm. They would get out of prison and I would look up to them and they would go back, you know. And uh, and I was taught everything I knew by them and my mom. And so, uh, you know, that was kind of my life growing up, uh, selling drugs with my mother. We were crime partners, being in the streets my whole life. Uh, and so... So that was my childhood. So when did your drug use start? Um, I started actually drinking whenever I was around 12. Um, stole cigarettes from my real, my real father, my biological father. Um, he lived in Springfield, and I didn't really know him until I was seven. Um, from that, I got to start going every other weekend to his house with my older brother. And... Um, at the age, you know, 11, 12 years old, I was stealing cigarettes out of the freezer and taking them home with me and going out to the chicken house and smoking cigarettes, you know, um, started running around with some friends and, um, I lived in the country, but I found a way to go to town and I would drink with them and, um, come home and, you know, it was just um, chaos, really. That's where that started. But I didn't start using drugs until I was older, in my 20s. Okay. So uh, my drug use started very young. You know, I don't even know when. Uh, I had abuse in my life as well. I was abused sexually by, by men and women. Uh, my mom was a good lady. She loved me. But she was a single mom. She was a bartender at a biker bar. She was also a waitress, and so she was very busy, and she would leave people, leave me with people, you know, and and sometimes those weren't the best people to leave me with, and so, uh, you know, I, w I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be older, and, and so I would do what older kids did, you know, and, yeah. and so I, you know, I began to use drugs, and I began to drink way before my teenage years, um, sexually active, very, very young, um, kind of thrown into this tailspin. Uh, and so I remember 
as a teenager having connections in the in the hood you know what jeff city knows is the hood at least uh and maybe you're listening you don't know what that is that's like the projects or uh, the bad neighborhood uh basically and so all my friends they couldn't get drugs from that place and so they would go through me and i remember you know being a teenager and doing so much cocaine and smoking so much crack cocaine that you know i thought my heart was going to blow up several times and uh, I didn't want to die in my house with my mom. I didn't want to find me bit my body dead. So I would have people come get me and take me out of the house and drop me off somewhere else. And, you know, I remember those times uh, growing up yeah. and and uh, just wanting to to get high and numb myself. I was lost, didn't have hope, uh, didn't have Christ. And so didn't know anybody in church. And so my my drug addiction, it was at a very, very young age. And so uh, as, 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 as long as I can remember... And then, uh, so the next question would be, um, explain the old Sharla. Let's hear about who you used to be. Um, the old Sharla was very um, lost, hurt, broken. Not feeling worthy. Trying to find my self-worth. Um looking for love in all the wrong places, finding affection through anyone who would give it to me. Um, I was very manipulative, um, deceptive, and um, life was just really a joke for me. Um, I became very suicidal towards the end of my um, old life. (laughs) But... um, I was just a hurting person, and I didn't understand. Um, I always question what was the purpose of this life. You know, that was always something I always wondered. Um, why are we here? It's um, it's stupid. <laughs> you know, I just didn't understand, and I just didn't want to live in it anymore. Um, I was constantly fighting demons in my head that I couldn't get rid of, and I didn't have any peace whatsoever. Okay. So my my uh, my old man, uh, who I used to be, you know, I, like I said before, you know, I wanted to be a gangster so bad, and then I became one. What I thought was a gangster, at least, you know, and I was miserable. Uh, my my mom came to me with uh, with a social security check and a disability check, and she said, "This is what we have coming in, and this is w- what our bills are." We need to do something, and so I became a drug dealer. Uh, she gave me the money. I went and got the drugs. She would manage the money, and I would sell the drugs. And so we kind of formed a partnership that way, and uh, we paid our bills that way. Uh, we got you know a vehicle that ran. Uh, you know, as far as coming from my past, you know, I come from poverty, and we were we were very poor. Uh, I remember sleeping without electricity. You know, I remember, you know, going to the food banks, you know, all that stuff. You know, food stamps, had food stamps. I mean, we were, we didn't have any money. And so uh, we began to pay our bills. And and in my mind, I would say that we were doing okay, you know, uh, in life from our worldview. And uh, my mom had emphysema. And so she had chronic emphysema. She was my best friend. And she went from having 200, you know, having to take oxygen every once in a while till she had 
200 foot of oxygen hose and she lived off that oxygen hose for I don't know how many years but it was a long time and I remember looking at the dial on her oxygen thing and it was in past the 10 buried in the machine uh and so my two older brothers who were old enough to be my dad's and then I had two older sisters that I, I knew I would go down and visit them periodically uh growing up and uh, they, the sisters lived far away, you know, a couple, three, two or three hours away, and they would call, and my mom would say, don't tell them, you know, don't tell them, I'm, I'm, because she couldn't, I, we, I would have to drain her tear ducts. She would have fluid on her eyes, and her eyes would look black, and, and I would hold her hot rag on her face, and uh, she, she couldn't get out of bed, and she said, I just want to die. Don't call them, don't tell them, don't tell them. And, and so I told, I told them one day that she, she was in bad shape, and they came, you know, and they called an ambulance, and, my mom had a heart attack on the front porch staring at me when they took her off of oxygen uh, and, the, and the fire truck showed up. It was like she couldn't forgive me, you know, for doing that. I broke her. I broke my promise to her, you know. Yeah. And so uh, so I beat the hospital to the I beat the I beat the ambulance to the I, I beat everyone else to the hospital as the ambulance when I ran on foot. And, uh, you know, I had to make a decision at the hospital for anyone else. I was in my early 20s whether they stab, stab her in the throat and give her a trach or, you know, what do they do? Because, you know, she was flopping there, no clothes on. I remember it. And uh, she came out of it right before I made that decision. And uh, I was just, I was lost. And so uh, I began to drink and I began to use and I began to, you know, get really bad on drugs. And my mom died by herself in a hospital bed. Uh, I wasn't there. I was drunk, drunk and getting high and sleeping with girls and I had that guilt in my life, you know, my whole life um, as a young man. It's, I couldn't stop thinking about that. You know, my one person that had that was there for me. And so uh, so I went from a dope dealer who used drugs uh, to a dope fiend, dope fiend. I mean, I was, you know, when I was young, I used hard drugs. And then I kind of stopped to become, a, you know, as I sold them. But then I really started using again and really, really bad. And so uh, I just wanted to die. You know, I... I remember using drugs and doing things, robbing drug dealers that would kill me because I didn't think I was going to see the sun come up. I mean, I was sure this is going to be my last day on earth, you know. Uh, and I remember just doing horrible things. I'm not going to glorify the devil because that's not what we're about here. But, um, I, mem- I mean, the, the worst of the worst, you think of the worst situation that was me. You could smell my clothes. You could smell my feet through my clothes. You wouldn't want to get me in your car because I'd stink your whole car up. I mean, that's how bad I was. And uh, I didn't care about my health. I didn't care about my hygiene. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care about my freedom. You know, I didn't have nothing. I was a wanderer of the street. Um, And then, uh, and so that was my old man, you know, lying, conniving, no, no, no uh, integrity. Just that's who I was. Uh, needle jockey holes in my arms you know I, I shared needles with people I didn't even know I had I had sex unprotected with you know I shouldn't have done that but I did that's who I was I just didn't care you know that was my life and so that's the old man for me and so uh, so let's talk about we're the new person because this is kind of depressing <laughs> so let's get out of there you know I don't want to dwell on that and so uh, just kind of talking about where, you know, the one broken life. So that was me broken, right? And that was you broken. And so you came to that p- place 
where you're like, okay, that's it, right? Mm -hmm. You put your hands up. You surrender your life to God. You come to a place where you hear the gospel, and, you know, you hear the word of God. The Bible says in, in Romans 10, 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the, the Bible also says in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, that this is the sword of the spirit. It's not the sword of the preacher. Mm. It's the sword of the spirit of God. And, and Hebrews says it, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide to the soul and the spirit is the, discern, the discerner of the thought and the intention of the heart. And so this powerful word of God, you know, we hear it, we read it, we see it, we we grow up many times, oh, I've heard that verse, and you watch it, you know, in jail, you watch preachers on TV, you hear the word, but you don't hear it like that, right? Mm -hmm. The sword of God, the sword of the Spirit of God hasn't pierced you yet. And so you're broken, you come to that place where you give your life to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Let's hear about that. So um, I had just freshly came out of rehab. I came to my point of complete brokenness. Um, I knew that um, I needed something different. Um, but my brother, my older brother, Shad, he um, picked me up from rehab. And whenever we were driving home, which we had like a three-hour drive back to Ashgrove, um, he started telling me that his church was getting ready to start a ministry or had just started a ministry called Freeway. And uh, he wanted to take me. And, um, I mean, they literally took everything from me. They took my keys. They took my car. They took my phone. Someone um, gave them good advice. Yeah, someone did, and that was you. But, um, you know, at the time, I was very mad because I felt like he was treating me like a baby. And But now I'm thankful for that. Mm -hmm. um, but he had taken me um, to Freeway my first time. I got out of rehab on a Thursday and showed up to Freeway on a Saturday and uh, just listening to the word. You were going through Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, I'll never forget it, and God used it, and um, I knew I needed something different, and God showed me that night that this is what I needed, and I knew that, you know, people had to have been praying for me, even the day that... Um, before I went to detox, um, I was very angry, very angry at my mom and my little brother and uh, just pretty much refusing to do what they wanted me to do. And there was a change of heart that happened whenever I walked into my room because I wasn't going to go. And that change happened, and I come out and, and said I would go, you know, to rehab. So, um, but I knew I needed something different. And whenever... You know, whenever I gave my life to Christ, it was a peace that I never had. Like, I actually had peace. I felt it instantly. Like, God gave me a peace of mind. And all those demons that I fought, man, my whole life, like, it was gone. And I had a joy that I never had before. And, and um, you know, I was so good at faking being happy my whole life. You know, I could always put on a front and um, I pretended to be somebody I wasn't. No one ever knew on the inside what I was, but I did. And um, God healed my heart, you know, and he, um, he just gave me a peace of mind that I never thought I could have ever, you know. And then and from that, you know, I learned that I had purpose and that God could take the bad and use it for the good. And it's just, it's just amazing. Amen. And so uh, one of the verses that 
I'm going to use over and over again uh, because I use it all the time. And so it's kind of something that's a part of me. But it's Philippians 1.12, you know. Mm-hmm. He says, but brethren, I want you to know that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, and then he goes on to say that because of my chains, much more the brethren are more bold. But more the brethren are more bold to speak the word of the Lord without fear. And the words speak, in my opinion, if I studied it, it's everyday conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. They're just more bold to share the word with people. They're more bold to talk about the word of God. And Paul said it was because of the things which have happened to him. And so the things which happened to you, the things which happened to me, which happened to, happened to me in our broken lives, mm-hmm. is now we're able to use that to take the gospel further and help people be bold to share their stories and share their faith without fear. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, which is exciting to me. And so my salvation story uh, is, you know, I went to prison uh, for selling drugs in a school zone. I was parked outside of a house outside of, uh, it was actually in my hometown, Jeff City. I was with a guy named Gary, and uh, he was selling drugs, and I was using him to, staying close to him because he had drugs and, and using every excuse to be around him so I could use his drugs. And and he was about to sell drugs to a prostitute. And uh, him and his girlfriend were fighting outside. It was broad daylight. I knew I had a warrant for my arrest. And so everybody, all the cops know me in Jeff City. And so I'm they're arguing over whether he can go in and do it or not because she didn't want him to go into a prostitute's house, you know. And I said, give it to me. So I grabbed it, and I took it in to the house, and I sold her the drugs for him. And uh, little did I know, the whole house was wired, and uh, the police were in the basement. And so I sold her the drugs. And seven years later, six years later, I'm walking down the street, and they arrest me uh, for uh, delivering and manuf- delivering manufacturing, uh, selling in a school zone. Um, and so anyways, I, I, I went to prison. You know, I was in a... I was in a standoff. Uh, what, what the end of the, the end of the rope? The end of the rope was I, you know, I'm 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 going to trial. They're they're they have this charge over my head, and and then I go on the run, and so I'm on the run, and, and they found me at uh, the corner of Monroe and Hickory Street, Jeff City, Missouri, and I was hiding in a house, and I was in there for a long, long time, hours, and I wanted to make them shoot me because I didn't think I had a reason to live. You know, everybody I knew was in prison. My brother's in prison. My two nephews is in prison. All my families that, besides that, that I'm close to is dead. Mom's dead. Uh, you know, and so I'm like, what do I have to live for? So finally I came out. You know, I put my hands up and came out. So when I went to prison in 2008, uh, in June in Fulton, Missouri, I'm in this hot prison, and I find a Bible, and it said free on the inside, and it was a prison Bible. And I began to read the Bible, but this time it was different. You can look at my his, my criminal history, and you can see I've done lots of time in jail. I mean, I'm not bragging, but I've done years in the county jail. And I read my Bible in jail before, right? Mm-hmm. But I never truly, I never truly got saved. I never surrendered my life to Him. I was never truly convicted and pierced by the Word of God, and I never had that faith that brings salvation. You know which also is grace, the Bible says um, in Romans. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but God has dealt each person a measure, a portion of faith. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but this time it was different, and, and something in me told me to look for bad guys, you know? And and I began to read the Bible, and I found out that we're all bad. 
And that was exciting. <laughs> how great, how great, how good news is that? Yeah. That there is none good. Romans 3, there is none good, no, not one. So if you're listening today or you're watching this and you think you're good, you're wrong, you know, yeah. uh, because the only thing that's good, God's standard of good is Jesus, moral excellence, you know, and there is no one morally excellent but Jesus. And so Jesus is is, is perfect in Jesus, God in the flesh, fulfilling all the law and becoming a man, coming down. That's good. Um, we are lawbreakers. And so when I looked at that and I said, well, man, could God use a man like me then? And then I, I, I found out that not only could God use a man like me, but I was, I'm a poster child for Christianity according to the gospel. And so that at that moment, when I found these men and the women in the Bible, you know, I found a, a prostitute that was in the bloodline of Jesus, well, you know, Rahab. And when I found Peter who walked away from God and went back to fishing again and Jesus came looking for him. He, he denied Jesus with a curse, you know. Uh, Paul, the apostle, hero, Saul of Tarsus, you know, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And I've seen all these people, Moses, Abraham, uh, you know, these people who were full of fault, Noah, right? I thought, man. And so I surrendered my life to Jesus in a prison cell. And my prayer, you know, I can't tell you word for word, but basically it was use me like the dope used me. Give me a purpose, you know, and I surrender my life to him. And one of the things we ask people is, who are you and what is your purpose? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who I was, Charlotte, and I didn't know what my purpose was. And so that was my salvation story. That's when I, I surrendered fully to Christ. And I wasn't the perfect person after salvation, you know. I, uh, I'm i not the perfect person now. But I had, uh, you know, I was very immature. I had a lot of growing to do. But, but I read my Bible until it fell apart. No front, no back, no bind, no cover. And it was held together with a speed stick sticker from a deodorant that I had in prison. And I still got the Bible. You know mm -hmm. I do. We yeah. live together, right? <laughs> but uh, but that's my salvation story. And and, uh, and so that's how I came to Christ. And so let's hear about this for a second. Um, how is God... This is a question. I'm going to ask you this one. So tell me how God has used Freeway Ministries to change your life. Well, if it wasn't for Freeway Ministries, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I guarantee you, I would probably be dead, honestly, because that's where my life was headed. Um, that's what I was contemplating was suicide. And um, and so I know that God used Freeway. And just to be able to see God's sovereign hand on how he got me to Freeway by using my brother. And um, my brother didn't even go to Crossway. He had just started going, you know, and so how God, you know, used him and placed him in the Sunday school class where you guys was and the ministry starting. I mean, God's timing is nothing but perfect. God used Freeway to change my life. When I got saved, I got excited. You know, I couldn't wait for Freeway getting plugged into the local church. I couldn't wait to go to church. I always made sure whenever I got a job, you know, I was working at a Chinese restaurant in Ash Grove and working at Sam's um, on East Sunshine. And so I remember telling them, I can't work on Wednesday. I can't work on Saturday night and I can't work on Sundays. And they all worked around that. And so God used Freeway just to just to change my life. And if it wasn't for Freeway, I know I wouldn't be here today. I yeah. know that. Amen. So, uh, Charlotte and I met at Freeway. Yep. 
and she stalked me. No. She was actually <laughs> hiding in the bushes with a flashlight on her forehead one night and had to come out and run her off. I thought, You're man, so silly. if I don't if I don't have her arrested, I'm gonna either have you arrested for stalking me or I'm gonna have to marry you. You're so silly. And so that's how we got married. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but no <laughs> The true story is she did stalk me. I did not stalk you. But at the end of the day, you know, we pray. I prayed. You know, one of the things God did through free was brought me a wife. And so, um, you know, which is amazing to have a wife and have a helper. Um, And we haven't always had the perfect marriage, and we don't still have a perfect marriage. Uh, We're both two sinners living together trying to, uh, to make this thing work. We've been married. Uh, for nine years, mm-hmm. and uh, April will be 10, 10 years of marriage. But we, you know, just kind of shooting from the hip here. But, um, you know, when God took me to Crossway, or Broadway at the time, you know, we started Freeway there, um, and I met my wife. My wife was, Charlotte was, uh, you know, not someone I was trying to be with. I wasn't looking for a wife. Uh, I had had some relationship mistakes from the past, and I was scared of women. I did. I was scared of me because I know that I have a, a, you know, I'm a man, and I'm. I need a wife, and if I don't have a wife, I burn with lust. The Bible says you'd rather marry than burn with lust, and so I wanted to be very careful um, with that. Coming from my background, having that, you know, that sexual act of past, and and so uh, being a single dad of a four year old little boy, me and him had been together for a couple years, and had him since he was two and a half. And so I would put him those between me and beside me. So not like women were after me or anything, but I was just scared of, of you know, I didn't want a girl to even sit by me. And then I started praying for a wife and the ushers began to bring Charlotte to me and uh, sit her by me. And one day in a Sunday school class, I overheard her say I had a dream about him. That's not true. And she was staring at me. I seen it with your mouth. Don't lie. That was an insane You're on camera. Class. It was it was too. It was that freeway Sunday school at the gym. Nope. And uh is it a lie? It wasn't at is it a lie? school though. Is it a lie? And I did have a dream about you. See? And so uh so anyways, that's when the stalking began. <laughs> and so I knew, you know, and I asked Charlotte to to go on a date with me and I didn't even know her name. Mm-hmm. And so I had to call Rick Lechner and ask him what her name was. <laughs> and then uh, I didn't know she smoked cigarettes. I was. And I thought, good grief, what am I going to do now? You know, I got to <laughs> date this girl who smells like a cat pack of mar- marbles. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, she overcame that addiction too. Yeah. But praise the Lord, right? right. Um, so God's used freeway in my life in many ways. It's a, you know, when I came from the ministry I was a part of, I was a part of it. When I got saved, and gave my life to Jesus. Um, I had a I had an old man named Dewey Houston that wrote me in prison. Um, I was in prison, lived off five dollars a month, uh, five postage stamps, a stick of deodorant, a stick of toothpaste. You know, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any family. I had a G. I didn't even have a GD. I was passed through school with straight F's my whole life. Um, I knew I wasn't going back to my old hometown, my old ways. I was willing to go anywhere and do anything but that. And uh, Anyways, this old man wrote me. I got a got his address from my cellmate, Dave Hutman. And I wrote him, and he wrote me back. And so for 18 months, he wrote me every week. And I would write him back. And we uh, we developed a relationship, and he ended up picking me up 
21 days after I got out of prison, I was in a program in the middle of nowhere, and it just wasn't for me. There wasn't any work. God shut the jobs down, and this old man came and picked me up, and I spent the first first night of of of, of my my first night in Springfield was in this retired missionary's home, and then Sunday he took me to to a homeless shelter, and uh, I got involved in his church, the one he was in, he was a member of, and they had a recovery program, and so I learned a lot from that program. But it was just the doctrinal issues. It was a charismatic church, and I'm not charismatic. Little did I know, right? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know what a Baptist or a Pentecostal was. All I knew was Jesus. And and so I ended up getting plugged in with Mike and Rick, Mike Le- Micah A. and Rick Lechner and at a coffee shop we met at. And Mike A. had a Bible, uh, a Bible study for men. And, and Rick introduced me to Pastor Eddie, and we went there with this vision. And, and uh and, and so we started Freeway Ministries, but where I'm trying to get to is, you know, I was fooled into believing that um, no one at Broadway Baptist Church would ever accept me. I was preaching at this other church. People were being saved. I was a part of this recovery ministry, and I thought, man, I'm going to walk away from all this, and uh, no one's ever going to accept me there because of the way I look and my tattoos and my past, but it was a lie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that Freeway Ministries has done uh, is introduced me to mothers and fathers and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles of the local church. You know, it's given me a family, a church family, uh, and so it's given me a, a wife. You know, and and kids, right? Because we are a blended family. My wife came with two teenagers, and I came with a four year old. And so, um, you know, God has done mighty things uh, through the ministry. It's allowed me to go into evangelism and. And work with many churches from many different places yeah. uh, in the United States and even around the world, and so uh, God is blessed that way. And so I don't have a time here. I haven't been looking at the clock much, so we're probably. Uh, I hope we're on time. If not, we're going to be all right. So I want to talk about marriage in the blended family real quick. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that, Charlotte. Okay, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard um, being in a blended family. Um, especially whenever we first got married, um, very, um, I was very mentally not my age, as we talked about before. Um, we stopped growing mentally when we start using, and so um, I was a very enabled girl. Um, I came with two teenagers that were very angry, and um, so being in a blended family was not fun <laughs> it was very hard work um and then having a new another one um, on top of that that was four years old and so um we learned a lot through those times really um god used the blended family to strengthen us and grow us and to be able to help others that come and have blended families and so we're able to you know just tell them how god's helped us and how he used it to help others and so um it's a very difficult thing whenever you have your own kids and then you have, you know, stepchildren that I don't even consider Keith my stepchild because he is like my own. We've been together since we was four, but it's it's definitely a struggle. Um, you always want to protect your own, right? And so um, when struggles and, and situations arise, you know, the mom and you just kind of steps up and it's a hard situation, but learning to die to that and being able to um, realize that, you know, you had the best interest at heart and that you're the leader and to be able to submit to that 
Say that one more time. Stop it. <laughs> Submission, yeah. um, being able to submit to your leadership. That was a struggle too, you know, um, to be able to do that, being able to come from the life I lived. You know, I was a single mom for 10 years. Um, I was a leader of my own home. And to be able to uh, submit was a very hard thing for me to learn to do. So, so I went from a preacher, uh, you know, I've been preaching since 2010, um, and really the end of 2009 into 2010, I was preaching at this recovery ministry, and, you know, I thought my poop didn't stink pretty much, and uh, <laughs> we uh, we get married, you know, and, and Freeway was taking off and growing, and just crazy, awesome stuff happening, and just growing at such a rate that was just very abnormal, so I was prideful. And we had, I uh, had Keith and Chase and Ashlyn, uh, who were both mad at you uh, <laughs> for your past. And Chase goes from a, a enabled mama's boy uh, who was 13 and slept in the bed with his mom till he was 13. <laughs> and then she married me, uh, having this dad who has no clue how to be a dad, especially to a teenager or a blended family. Uh, you know, and so that was rough for me. And then fighting, right? Mm-hmm putting the church face on, and let's just be real, we fought for three and a half years. Yeah. Uh, it was war. I had my little things that I would say to you to hurt you, and you had your things you did to, to hurt me. And, uh, you know, we came to the place in our marriage where you know, we realized that the problem was always in the mirror. Mm-hmm. My problem was me, and your problem was you. Right. And today is the same thing. Whenever tension comes, your problem is you, and my problem is me. And so, uh, you know, coming to that place in our marriage really where we were broken, right? Mm -hmm. And without a way out, without a way to fix it, too stubborn to quit and give up uh, to where we are today has just been been awesome, you know, to be a team. And we're not going to pretend here on on this podcast that we're a perfect marriage because, you know, what, we still fight. We still have tension (laughs) and we still go through struggles and we still have issues with blended family. I mean, it's it's just it's just the way it's always going to be. I mean, right. we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to to put Jesus first. We're going to repent. We're going to walk together. But mm-hmm. we're committed to this thing because that's what love is, right? Right. It's a it's a it's a choice to want the best for Charla and to love her and be committed to her and be her husband and love her like Christ loved the church. And um, and so that's my role today. And and so we've 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 learned a lot. Uh, through that and so let's go let's go through uh just that shift Mm -hmm. from the scared the scared shy afraid charla who (laughs) didn't know her place Mm -hmm. you know when we opened the women's house you know the women's discipleship home uh you and sherry uh helped oversee that um and so when we first opened that house and the first time we had conflict, I called Sherry and I said, I need you to come over here and get Charla. And I need you guys to go and handle something over at the house. And and I told you, I said, Charla, Sherry's on her way to get you. And you guys are going to go and handle this discipline. And you looked at me and you cried. And this is what you said. Why are you doing this to me? Do <laughs> I remember, remember so clearly. Yeah. So clearly. Because I didn't know my place. Freeway had already started when I came in. Everybody had their places already. And so whenever I come in, new, Christ, you know, baby Christian, not knowing how to live life, you know, um, I didn't have the mentors that 
um, you know, our girls do now. But I was like a little dog, you know, puppy with her tail between her legs. Like I just, I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know where I fit in. And I would constantly be in the back, you know, um, where people didn't realize um, who I was or, or even who I, you know, they always asked, where's John's wife? No one knew who John's wife was, right? Because I was in the background. I didn't want anybody to know who I was. And so finding my place was hard. Um, you know, starting the women's house, I'll never forget whenever you told me we was going to confront. Like, I don't like to confront people. And it was very difficult. And I started crying because I didn't think I could do it. But God used it, you know. And um, it's still not easy to confront. But... Um, I know I'm doing the right thing, the biblical thing, you know, and, and God gives me the strength to do it. He gives me the, the words. And um, and so, yeah, I'll never forget that confronting thing. That was the hardest thing ever, but God did use it to strengthen me and to, to grow me, you know. Like, it's it built a confidence up in me, and that women's house changed my life. It changed me, and um, I'll, never, I'll always be grateful for that. Yeah. And so not not long after we opened the women's house, Rick and Sherry, they went to Omaha. And so you were the one mm-hmm. in, in that house and overseeing that. And and so we've we've seen you grow through that. Uh, but you, you know, you said, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and then you then I said, well, I'll have another lady do it then. But I knew God was pushing me. And I said that <laughs> to you because I knew if I said yeah. that, then you would do it. You were manipulating me. <laughs> I was kind of manipulating you. No. Honestly, that's true. Yeah, but I knew that God was pushing me to do it because when you're, you said that, it was like, you know, God was just laying it on my heart like, this is what I want for you. And if I wouldn't have done that, um, I think things would have been really different. I don't think I would have seen the growth that I've seen um, being able to be a part of the women's house. So what's God doing in your life today, Sharon? God has done so many wonderful things in my life. You know, being able just to be a part of the women's house has been um, amazing. I'm a mom to many who I've always wanted to be, um, have many kids. And so not being able to have that and God placing me in the women's house. I, I've, I'm a mom to many of these girls and he has grown me tremendously. I just got through doing my very first women's conference. Um, That was huge growth for me, too. And um, when God called me to do that, I felt unequipped. And um, I didn't feel like that was something that um, I could ever do. But God um, really showed up and showed off through that, you know, through the months of studying and um, prayer and just um, trusting in Him. And if I would have been fearful and stayed home, like I really wanted to, um, I know that he wouldn't have shown me how you know faithful he is, and then I can trust him with whatever he calls me to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's doing amazing. I get to see restoration over and over again to see these ladies get their kids back, to be able to be a part of. Their restoration and bonding is something that is very special to me. Um, I hold it dear to my heart. Yes. Yeah, so one of the interesting things about our women's home is that we have one part of the program to where if there is a woman that is trying to be restored to her kids, uh, then we do a sliding scale. Basically, we don't charge them anything. Uh, once they get a job, 
they give one-third of their paycheck to Freeway, one-third to them, one-third to a savings plan. And we're about to have a bunch of girls graduate who are uh, – we just had one graduate the 12 months who, who's who got her kids, got her own place to live, got a job. She's plugged into the church, and she's mm-hmm. killing it. And we got two more that are headed that way. One that's about to graduate. Three a couple. more. We've got one getting ready to graduate. Yeah, yeah but Brittany, months. she's got a little while left still, right? Brittany, and then Amanda's right after her. Yeah. So, you know, then, August, September. And then we got uh, Madison, who's – Coming around the corner, correct? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's pretty cool yeah. uh, to see them graduate, get their kids back. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the big things that that's that's important when, when you're dealing with people in recovery is people don't get that, um, like, say, for instance, and we're kind of going on a rabbit trail, but say, for instance, that this girl who's been prostituted her whole life since she's been able to be sexually active, she's been selling her body for drugs or being sold. She's in her 20s now, and she comes from prison or jail, and she gets saved. She gives her life to Jesus, radical life transformation. And uh, she graduates the program, or even if she comes to the crowd, right, she gets discipled. Um, And then she meets her husband here, okay? Through that process, who's going to be her mom? Well, if her mom was the one that got high with her and used drugs with her and was involved in prostitution with her, then her mom can't be around her. And then who's going to be her dad? Because her dad's strung out on drugs and he's not going to be there for her. So the church has to come beside her and they have to, the church has to be the mom. There has to be mothers in the church for her. There has to be dads in the church for her. So she meets this man, they get married. Who's going to walk her down the aisle? Mm -hmm. And then who's going to be the grandparents for these kids? Right. So that is why it's so important to have that community, yeah. like Acts. You know, they they no one had a need. They met daily. They were one mind, uh, one accord. You know, uh, they went house to house. They broke bread. They continued in the apostle doctrine and fellowship together. Right? Mm-hmm. They did life together. And so, um, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the way God uses the Bible today in 2021, just like He did then. I mean, it's. It, it's, it's alive. And so uh, did you ever think your life could be like this? Never, ever. Me neither. Me neither. No. There, I mean, you know, even going back and thinking um, about my past and, I mean, I really never thought it was possible to be as happy and content as I am today. Never thought it was possible. 2009, I got off of a prison bus with some hand-me-down shoes that said Pookie on them. Somebody named Pookie gave me. Somebody gave them to me. Some clothes that the prison gave me to wear out. It's a big box. There's about five guys in a room. They throw a big box of clothes in there, and you just get whatever you can find, and that's what you wear when you leave because you don't have family to send you anything. Mm-hmm. A Greyhound bus, you know, with not enough money on a card to get a bag of chips and a soda from the gas station, the bus station. That was me. 2009, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to believe in 2021 of where I am today. Yeah. Well, even the last nine years, just where God has taken us from to where we are today is just mind-blowing, really. To It's just, you can't even fathom what God can do in your life if you're obedient and faithful to what he's called you to do. And um, so it's just pretty neat to be able to be a part of it, you know. We're sitting in our own building. You know, we have a headquarters now, and God has allowed us to be here. 
Uh, he's given us the ability to be a part of planning seven freeway ministry locations. Um, you know, to have multiple homes for men and women to live in throughout the United States and even in Africa, South Africa now. And so, you know, God can redeem. God can restore. God can raise you from the pit to the pulpit. Amen. Yeah. And he is still doing it today through broken lives. And the stories that come through the ministry that we're a part of, you can't make them up. No. And so, uh, so just in closing, are you happy? I'm very happy. I love to ask people that question. <laughs> are you happy? I'm happy. Okay. I have joy. <laughs> I do too. You know, today, today God has given me joy outside of emotion, mm-hmm. outside of circumstances. Yeah. Um, just knowing that I know Jesus and having heaven as my home and my treasure there. You know, and this world doesn't own me. Yeah. And so uh, I'm excited to continue to share One Broken Life. Is there anything you want to say before we close? Anything you'd want someone to know? Man, God can use your brokenness. God can use your abuse. God can use your hard, your hardest of hard times. He can use that one day. If you give your life to him, he can use that to glorify him Amen. by sharing your testimony of what, how God redeemed you and to give others hope and a, that he has a purpose for everyone's life, you know? And so God can use you. Amen. Maybe you're watching today and you're listening on, on uh, Spotify or Apple or, uh, you know, I just want you to know that if you have a loved one that's strung out, you can visit our website, Freeway Ministries, freeway-ministries.com. Our applications for our men and women's program is there. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook. Uh, you can visit freewayministries.com. Uh, while you're there, you can find out more information about who Freeway Ministries is, our programs, our services. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. We look forward to being a part of you, hearing our testimonies of, of lives that are being changed and being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, one broken on life at a time. So Amen. thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you again. Thank you. Bye.